Welcome to The World in 10, the Times of London's unique take on the world's news with me, Toby Gillis, and the magnificent Cara Bentley. Thanks, Toby. Today, it is another deep dive into the situation in the Middle East, but also some light relief in the form of NASA's latest incredible mission, tennis's attempts to liven up, and it seems even the most secretive agencies around have a public opinion on who should play James Bond. Grim details continue to emerge from Israel after Hamas's attack there at the weekend. In fact, grim is a, a massive understatement. We know that some of the bodies at a kibbutz in Kfar Azar were that of babies. The Times' man there, Anshul Pfeffer, was taken in by Israeli soldiers on Tuesday night and in his piece today has described how some of them have had their throats slit and has added how no single home was left without a slaughtered Israeli. His journalism is harrowing but important, and you can read it on the site now. And Israel continues to plan its response. Its bombing of Gaza has continued, but an incursion into the area is now expected imminently, more of which we'll talk about later. But we're keen today to look into the American response to the situation and analyse what it means. Yeah, we know that Hamas, defined in the US and the UK as a terror organisation, has support from Iran. But until now, both Israel and the US, and Hamas itself actually, um, has insisted that Iran has had no involvement in what we've seen since the weekend. Many analysts have been surprised by that, especially at this early juncture. But it was reinforced by this thinly veiled message from President Biden overnight. Let me say again to any country, any organization, anyone thinking of taking advantage of this situation. I have one word. Don't. Don't. By the way, Biden has been widely praised for the personal nature of that speech. He's hugely angry, um, but also for the delicate balance he struck between acknowledging Hamas as a separate entity from the Palestinian people. And what's particularly interesting about this today, though, is that we know now that Iran is at least connected. The Times' tech correspondent Mark Selman has written a piece about how Google has tracked a network of fake social media accounts which are promoting false anti-Israeli propaganda back to Iran. Yeah, it begs the question, where's the line for Israel and the US? At what point does Iranian involvement in this war become too much to accept? The Times' US editor, David Charter, told me they will certainly allow online falsities slide. Opening up a war between Israel and Iran at this point would be disastrous for not just the region, for the world. It would draw in other powers. Um, And Israel also wants to very much focus on destroying Hamas. It doesn't want to have to be fighting a very well-equipped Iranian army. But clearly, if there's evidence that they supplied the actual munitions used, that Hamas fighters, terrorists were trained in Iran, uh, or that there was some sort of intelligence sharing uh, on, on the planning side, anything that was a direct involvement in the precise attack over the last few days, that would pin it on Iran. But that is obviously going to create this dilemma of another front. So keeping Iran aside is key, especially as we now expect in the next few days that Israel's focus will be putting boots on the ground in Gaza. The Times' Richard Spencer is in Ashdod, which is around 20 miles north of the Gazan border, and he told us what he knows about a potential Israeli ground offensive. 
Well, the Israelis have called up 300,000 reservists, so that gives you some idea. Uh, I've seen uh, accounts that they want a 10 to 1 uh, advantage in terms of numbers against uh, the Hamas defenders, which would be standard operating uh, procedure, particularly in a heavily built up area like this. And Hamas are estimated to have 30 to 40,000 fighters. So uh, that would make sense in terms of timing. Normally, these things take, uh, a, you know, a week or two to get together. But this is a much more intensive operation trying to actually uh, extirpate, is the word they're using, uh, Hamas from Gaza. They're also, you know, must be aware that they were caught unawares by what happened on Saturday. And they'll want to avoid being uh, led into any trap that they haven't uh, got covered. Mm. And they'll also be bearing in mind the question of the hostages, what they're going to do about the hostages, whether they're going to risk them being killed as a punitive response. In the meantime... Palestinians are being bombed relentlessly. In fact, missiles are flying in both directions over the border, actually. But in Gaza, conditions go from bad to almost impossible. Maine's electricity is gone, as in completely, after the Strip's sole power station shut down because of a lack of fuel. That had been cut off by Israel immediately after the attack. People there are living off backup generators. So no fuel, and Israel has also stopped food and medicine coming in. So you can imagine the impact of that on hospitals. Yeah. Matthias Kahn is from Médecins Sans Frontières, or Doctors Without Borders, and he's in Gaza, and he told us the situation is dire. We, we have a contingency stock based in the, based in the, in the hospital, and uh, we consumed basically... In three days, we consumed what we usually consume in three weeks because of the amount of patients that arrived. So it's bad there. It's clearly only going to get more violent and deadly. And right now, the concept of peace, I mean, it's a mere pipe dream, isn't it? Possibly even years into the future. Yeah, it remains to be seen how widespread this war becomes. If Iran gets involved, as David Charter suggested earlier, much more of the world may even feel obliged to intervene in a far more hands-on way. Our next story is in stark contrast to the last, a great example of our innate desire for advancement. This is NASA's latest project, a trip to a failed planet which bears remarkable similarities to Earth. You're calling Earth failed? Surely not. But uh, this is Psyche. It's uh, 2.2 billion miles away. It's between Jupiter and Mars. It's going to take six years to get to, but... We're told it's worth it. Its history could tell us a huge amount about what shaped our planet. So what's it like? Imagine the Earth's core, but without the mantle and crust around it. And basically, that's what they think Psyche is. Yeah, they say it's been formed the same way, but its growth was somehow stunted. And it's now just kind of floating in the asteroid belt as a frozen 140-mile-wide rock. But NASA's described it as an as-yet-unexplored type of world. Lovely. And if they're excited about what it could tell us, then so are we. Kara! Yeah, hi Toby! Where in your mind are we? What? (laughs) Where are we? Uh, It sounds like we're in a club. Uh, No, no. We're at the tennis. What what are you talking about? Tennis is calm and and quiet and very, very civilised. 
<laughs> well, uh, not at the Australian Open 2024, where they're introducing a first ever party court at a Grand Slam. Court 6 is the location where fans, or if we're honest, more likely influencers wanting Instapics, will be welcomed into a courtside bar with live music. That's where that music came in. Booze, food, and no incentive for quiet, please, when players are ready. Now, from the outside world, this move seems uh, maybe perhaps a bit risky. The tournament's director says they're listening to the feedback they get from fans, but... We'll put it this way. Last time we knew of an apparently alcohol fueled fan courtside was at Wimbledon a couple of years ago. And Australia's Nick Kyrgios complained so much that the woman was thrown out and ended up threatening to sue him. Yeah, but if the players are on board with this, it may be a risk worth taking because the sport's in desperate need of an image shake up. That's their words, not mine. And a partisan crowd making loads of noise. Well, it might just make all the difference. I guess we'll find out come January. He may be a British institution, but James Bond is apparently something British intelligence agencies would love to change. They want him to be black or a woman or a black woman. Yeah, this is according to a former intelligence agent, John Taylor, who's been discussing it at the Times' Literary Festival. But why are they so keen for this change? Well, it's simple. Bond is genuinely an inspiration for people to join the agencies. And it's fair to say MI5 and MI6, by their own admission, lack diversity. Now, Eon Productions, which make Bond films, is actually looking for an actor to replace Daniel Craig. Although the casting director has said in the past she doesn't think it should be a woman, as she sees the role as a British man. So that leaves a black British man. Usually those linked with it don't get it. So forget the main two we hear suggested on the regular, Idris Elba and Reggae Jean Page from Bridgerton. Unless, of course, Britain's intelligence services get a say. <laughs> yes, the name's Gillis, Toby Gillis. Yeah, I won't be getting the new James Bond role, so uh, expect more of me on The World in 10. Although not today, because we're out of time. <laughs> Listeners rejoice. Oh, rude. <laughs> See you tomorrow. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.